Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 22 of Yoga Land. I am so excited for today's episode. My guest is Rachel Brayton, also known as Yoga Girl on Instagram. I've been following Rachel for several years, and there's two things that I've always admired about her. First is her transparency. She's very, very honest, always brutally honest in her posts about how she truly feels about things. And I think that's pretty refreshing in the yoga world. Also her business acumen at her young age. Right now she has, she's building a yoga studio on Aruba. She has 108tv.com, which has yoga and sort of holistic health videos. She has a pet adoption service and she has a nonprofit organization that does projects all over the world, benefiting people all over the world. And she has a SUP yoga business. So she's just really quite amazing. I think she's about 27 years old now and she's accomplished a lot. I think it's also pretty phenomenal just to talk to someone who has 2 million Instagram followers and to ask them what that's really like and kind of some of the shadow sides. So we had a great talk. I think she's delightful. She also shares some really great, straightforward social media advice toward the end of the podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much. I'm totally curious because I am like a recovering introvert, basically. I love talking to people one-on-one, which is why this setting is really good for me. But kind of group things or when there's a camera on me are really hard. Are you like a classic extrovert or are you? is it natural to you to talk to so many people at once? It's fairly natural to me. I think I am pretty much a classic extrovert, but I have realized that whenever I When I'm in those big scenarios, I have to take extra time to just be alone. Yeah. Like I need need a balance of being quiet and private and I can't be all extroverted all the time. (laughs) Yeah. I'm definitely grateful that, um, I don't know, I feel like introversion has been brought into like public knowledge. So we all know now, like it's good to be social and it's good to balance that out. So no, no, no. I, I believe that more than... Now more than ever. Yeah. I don't know, maybe it's part of, of growing older too. I definitely enjoy my quiet more than and being alone more than I ever have yeah, before. Of course. And you've been just traveling and, and you've been doing so much. You know, I, I talk to my husband a lot about he he's actually a classic introvert as well, which is why it's kind of fascinating that he has the job that he has. That's so funny. Yeah, and he teaches these big classes. Yeah. And- it's such an output of energy. And I think like until you actually teach a yoga class, you don't realize what an output of energy the teacher is like constantly, you know, giving to the classroom. So I would imagine that after like, you've had a really busy few years, I would imagine that you might want to be getting a little more grounded. Yeah, a bit. And I'm realizing it now more. I'm 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 pregnant or I'm four and a half months pregnant yeah, right congratulations. now. Congratulations. Thank you. But I taught my first, you know, ever retreat. as a pregnant woman and I felt totally physically totally normal and lots of energy like nothing you know I have no nausea like no symptoms that were Uh bad but then during the retreat after every single class I had this feeling like I'm gonna pass out right now if I don't go to my hotel room and close the door and turn the lights off and just even like it more now than ever before I feel this huge need to just conserve my energy in a way 
Because so teaching now is exhausting in a way it's never been for me before. Um, and it's just energetic because I'm not demonstrating. I'm not demoing poses. I'm not, you know, doing any crazy physical things. But it's just that energy of speaking and being really present with big groups. It's it's much more challenging. I can't remember where. I don't know if it was like a social media thing that I saw or if it was like on a TV show or something. But the person, someone, I remember someone saying, I can grow limbs. What's your superpower? Like you are growing, <laughs> like you're growing body parts inside of you, not to be, not to make it sound creepy, but you know, your body is doing a lot right now. <laughs> <laughs> it is creepy in a way. It's like, oh my God, how does it work? Like it's, no, it's amazing. It's totally nuts. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's really kind of sweet and beautiful that you're, you're taking that cue to just like go inward a little bit because even the pregnancy time is time of getting to know that that little person inside of you. I'm I am totally blown away by the mother-child connection. It's like kind of beyond anything I ever could have imagined. So I'm happy for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. It's a it's a new journey. It's definitely a step into a complete unknown territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how is your practice changing these days? being pregnant if it is at all oh it has so much so much in the very beginning I just I had this complete total urge to stop which I've never felt in my I mean since I found yoga a decade ago it was just this I don't know what where it came from but it was just I would step on my mat and my body would tell me no Mm. even gentle things it was you know sitting in meditation was basically it but any type of movement was just not what I was supposed to be doing so I had the first, probably for six weeks or six or seven weeks, I didn't, I didn't practice at all, which I think is the, one of the longest yeah, breaks I've ever had in my practice since I, since I really got into yoga. Yeah. So, and I'm sure, and I know also that, I mean, that affected me in a lot of ways because I started getting aches and pains in places that I don't even think was pregnancy related. I think it was yoga abstinence more yeah. than anything else. But I don't know if it was just the physical thing that I had to just completely slow down and be, because I've been going at such a high pace. Or if it was maybe fear-based, like I had some fear of, of miscarriage and I had a mm-hmm. kind of an icky midwifey person tell me to, you know, not do anything basically. Mm-hmm. But so that changed a lot. And then I got really, I started feeling more, more comfortable and then I got back into an almost normal practice. But now I have this, this really bad sinus thing happening. I might be sneezing and blowing my nose throughout this podcast. I hope <laughs> not. But so every time I put my head down, it's the worst. Like it's, it's just, you know, child's pose, down dog, any forward bends, like anything, it it doesn't, it it doesn't go. So it's like inflammation, maybe like just so much, there's so much. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I don't know. No, I don't know. I've tried really, really everything. So I'm hoping it's something that's going to go away. They say it's a hormonal thing that all the mucus in your body just kind of goes haywire when, when you get really all this, these hormones entering your system, but I, I don't know. There are definitely some total pregnancy <laughs> mysteries that happen for typically everyone. Mine was, I don't know if the audience really wants to hear this, but mine was, I have never had a cavity. Like I just have good genes that way with my teeth. And in my third trimester, I woke up one morning with a toothache and the day went on and I'd never had a toothache before. So I didn't know. I thought, okay, wow, this might be a cavity. I had to have a root canal. <laughs> what? I mean, I went to the dentist and he said, I'm sorry, but you know, and he did all these tests and indeed like the, the root was dead. Like I couldn't feel the tooth anymore. They do all these tests. And his wife happened to be pregnant at the time too. Thank goodness. Because he kind of understood how panicked I was that 
I had to, you know, have drugs and like I couldn't, you know, when you're in your third trimester, you, you're not supposed to lie flat. So they had to do the procedure sitting up and I couldn't take anything to like calm myself down. I, I called Jason and I was shaking and I was like, I have to have a root canal. And he's like, just get through it. You know, like 15 minutes, oh, you're going like- to be out. Anyway, it was just like one of those totally crazy, mysterious things. And, you know, I've read that and people have told me that because I, through social media, I share my, you know, these aches and weird things that happen and people are like, oh, you know, I heard, I heard of someone that had a root canal just through pregnancy because, because of weird stuff. But this like sinus thing, it's apparently so common, but I never heard of it ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's not one that I'm aware of. I mean, it's a good thing. It's like, has, there's so much beauty to the experience because it is, it is challenging. It's challenging as well. (laughs) <laughs> someone asked my husband the other day like what is it like with pregnancy and Rachel like hormones you know is she grumpy and he said every day is like a near-death experience for me <laughs> that was the funniest thing oh, he's a very patient man yeah so lucky <laughs> did you even have any awareness that you were like <laughs> a little more volatile than usual or was it once he said that that you no I'm very very aware and then once it kind of blows over I'm very apologetic yeah. and, you know like I, I'm totally aware of it but it's just I can't control it like I can see it coming and I just can't control it it's it's crazy <laughs> yeah you're in the second trimester now yes That's yes such a good is such a good phase I don't know my memory was just it was such a good phase. I did so much walking in that phase. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't know. I just felt like, I don't know. It was just the way that I wanted to move. And I was pretty big. I was I was one of those people that everyone, people would yell across the street at me. Are you having twins? Are there twins in there? No. Yes. And I'm short. I mean, I, I think maybe it's because I'm short. I don't know. And my husband's tall and my baby was long and stuff. But I also just gained a lot of weight. But I did love walking. It's intense for people to think that they have the... <laughs> it's pretty oh, funny. The right to yell at a pregnant woman across the street. That's, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> it's city life, too. It's a little bit of city life. Like, people, you're just up against people a little bit more in this public way. You know, it would always be, like, right outside of a train station. Some random person <laughs> would, like, yell at me or something. <laughs> like, I'm going to work. Leave me alone. <laughs> So I want to go back a little bit to like your early story. I I bought your book when it came out and I was totally blown away. I just reread it in the past few days to remind myself. But, you know, I think if people didn't read your Instagram captions, like if they just kind of looked at the pictures or had heard of you, you know, they would they might think you've had this like charmed, bright, shiny life. And what I appreciate about you is that you're just really transparent about the fact that no one has that, you know, you've had a completely normal life full of challenges, just like everyone else. And, you know, in the book, you talk about some of the challenges of your childhood, you know, just your parents going through divorce and the tragic death of your stepfather and your mom struggling with depression. And it seems like you, you know, had to grow up pretty fast, like many of us do. And when you were a teen, your mom sent you on a meditation retreat and you connected to it really, really quickly and really instantly. And that really changed the course of your life. So can you go back and remember some of those early moments of what it felt like to go into a meditation retreat in kind of chaos, like that, the chaos of like a teen brain and teen situation and, and what felt good about it and what just felt right about meditating for you? I can definitely, it's, it's funny because this year is such a 
kind of completion of a circle for me because uh, I did a very similar type of retreat that I did almost a decade ago. You know, I was 18 mm. when I did my first one and I did a similar one this year and I haven't done one in a really, really, really long time. So I kind of got to experience almost the same type of stage of moving through fear and, you know, is this is so overwhelming and is it right? And is the timing good? And what does it mean? Because if the difference is not, you know, not that huge, like what did I learn in 10 years? Yeah, <laughs> I really had a lot of the same realizations. But back then, I mean, I was, I was a baby. I'm really realizing that now I hadn't done anything. I mean, I hadn't done any type of inner inquiry, like of any kind, like no spiritual work, no I don't even remember at that time having deep conversations with friends. Like my whole life was just being as destructive as I possibly could. It was mostly alcohol and cigarettes and really horrible relationships and uh, fighting with people and running away from home. I mean, it was just it was just one drama after the other. And that was all I knew, you know, so mm -hmm. I was trying to really relive this this experience of being put on a train to go to this. Uh, you know, 10 days of intense holistic therapy and, and meditation and silence. It was almost like stepping into, I don't know, it was almost a fear of death in a way. Like I was so terrified. I remember physically almost being unable to step off the train. Like I almost stayed on the train and just continued up north <laughs> to, to anywhere. But I mean, there must have been a, a big part of me that just longed for something else you know, or I wouldn't have or I wouldn't have gone. I mean, yeah. no one dragged me there by the hair or anything like that like I I went voluntarily but um it was just it was such a deep awakening for me in terms of realizing what a struggle my life had been up, up until that point just realizing that I, I don't think I had ever been really happy ever mm -hmm. and I hadn't even contemplated like hey what is it what does it mean to be happy? Like, what do I want with my life? Is this, is this it? I never even contemplated that. There was no awareness of, of, of any kind in that shape. It was basically just survival for mm -hmm. me at that. So for me, having that insight of, of, first of all, whoa, you know, this is, this is my life. What am I doing with it? Was really, really, really huge. Just like a catalyst, I think, for, for change of any kind. It's such a gift that your mom gave to you. Oh, huge. <laughs> Had she ever meditated? Like, how did she even think that that was an option she has if she had been to the similar one so these types of, of groups or retreats they're from the osho lineage oh, i don't know okay. how much yeah experience you have with that yeah so it's very it's not vipassana style meditation where you know you're sitting down and quieting the mind and, and finding revelations that way but it's it's this very chaotic dynamic way of going into to past pain and kind of living out you know emotions that have been locked in the body for maybe a really really long time which I think was very fitting from my chaotic teenage mm -hmm. brain at the yeah. time. I think if, if I had entered a yeah a more traditional or or TM or Vipassana or something like that, I wouldn't have been able to to connect. I don't think yeah. something about the chaos the chaos that is the Osho yeah <laughs> style was really fitting for me. It works for a lot of people, and I was wondering how you would have made that transition from because um, Vipassana I mean, Vipassana is still hard for me. It's it is a very disciplined like form of, of meditation. So, so do you feel like your meditation practice and your yoga practice were the modalities that really helped you process your childhood or did you use other modalities? Like, did you do therapy and other things as well? So a lot of this, this specific work or these specific groups, it is, they call it holistic therapy. So it's, it's basically your own inquiries and moving deeper into the 
into the depths of your own past. So connecting the dots with why am I the way I am today and what are the patterns that I, that I maybe live with that aren't super helpful mm. to the evolution of, of my consciousness or, or of my life. And do I want to continue carrying them, you know, forever and ever? Is there something I can drop or change or make space for, maybe? Yeah. So it was definitely having having support in that type of group with people guiding you and with assistants and staff that are just, just there present to hold space for, for people participating in the group. But it was something that I really remember entering that space and I knew, okay, if I'm going to deal with my stuff and I knew I had all this baggage, uh, I was really set on it being things related to my stepdad who had passed away and related to my dad, like very male focused of these male influences I had in my life that weren't working or, you know, that were really chaotic. But when I entered, everything was focused around my mom and around the feminine Hmm. uh, side. So when I left this, uh, this week, I I left in a completely, um, almost like I relearned my whole, my whole past. It was really a big, I remember not wanting to go home. I had like a week or two where I couldn't go home because I had such a hard time adjusting to all the insight that I had about my own family. So it's been a lot of a lot of years of you processing that. Yeah, I would imagine that would be like kind of a shock if you were, went through such a opening experience and then you had to kind of go back to the place where you, you know, were kind of living more uh, more chaotically. So you you have this interesting start, right? Which is like the inverse of what a lot of people have, which is that you started with meditation and you started with kind of the the deep self-inquiry work. And then like, how, how did you find yoga? I know you went to Costa Rica, like you decided that you wanted to be around this mindset more. Did you go to a yoga retreat? Like, how did you start incorporating the physical practice with the spiritual practice? Let me think, because it was somewhere around, I did two of those groups or two of those meditation retreats. And then I had this huge urge to leave. <laughs> I just knew I had to put everything behind kind of and, and, and go. And I chose Costa Rica, not for a spiritual reason, but just, uh, I spoke Spanish already. So I knew I wanted to go somewhere where I could, could continue developing that and ended up in Costa Rica kind of uh, as a fluke, but it's such a, I mean, there's so much yoga there and there's mm-hmm. so many intentional communities and there's so much spirit in that, in that country. So almost immediately I started meeting people that were also really into meditation and that were reading the same books that I had recently started reading and just finding myself in a community that was more filled with people that were on the same path in a way. Where in Sweden, I didn't have anybody. Mm -hmm. I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't have any, I had no community of that kind. And for me, yoga, I remember people, there was always yogis around and people with the yoga mats and uh, that had this physical practice. But I was so into, you know, waking up at sunrise and sitting. Mm. That was, that was so... Every day was a new revelation in a way. It was like I was kind of getting to know this this whole different side of myself and I had to do it all alone. So I was really reluctant in the beginning when people said, oh, but you can, you know, working with the body really helps and it can deepen this connection and it can deepen the, can actually speed up the process of, of everything you're working on now. But I didn't really believe it because I never, I never had a good connection to my, to my body, actually. I never had a, I never remember feeling a love for my body or you know, working with my body in a way that was positive other than uh, kind of hating on it because I wasn't Hmm. skinny enough or pretty enough or whatever I was, you know, it was always something to be changed because it wasn't good enough. Hmm. I mean, my first real experience, it was, I I threw my back out. I always had a really bad back since I was, I had scoliosis since I was really little and I had two car accidents. I always had a really sensitive lower back. 
And then I threw my back out doing something. I don't know if it was surfing or hiking or, or something. And someone said, okay, you really, really, really need to need to start, start up a yoga practice to work on these things. And I thought, what do you mean? I thought yoga was hopping front to back. You know, how, how would this possibly help my, my back? That was not the yoga I had seen or, right. or heard. But I started taking a really restorative, I mean, really Iyengar-based class and and it worked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it worked. It and I remember being so surprised, like a couple of weeks in, like I really felt a difference just pain-wise, you know. And I didn't have a prestigious teacher. I didn't have books. Like I didn't have any, 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 you know, huge knowledge of any kind, but I just started practicing on my own. Just the gentle things, like gentle twists and, and forward bends and whatever felt good. And it really made a difference pain-wise. I'm just going to go back for just a second. It's so amazing to hear you say that, you know, you, like so many other people, girls in particular, like struggled with body image growing up or struggled with not feeling pretty enough. And especially, you know, because you are just, you're just a gorgeous being. And, you know, it seems like for so many of us, the yoga room or the meditation room is the first place where we really are encouraged to practice self-acceptance and to really like embody this just like self self-loved was that a big part of your falling in love with these practices it was but it would still it would still take me some time to to really figure that out mm-hmm. i mean it, it really really would because i hadn't even i think my first 2 years or so of practice wasn't very physical like i'd never been sweating on the mat for instance you know i never did a chaturanga i never tried a handstand like none of that and I still had so much pain. Like I, I, for me, backbending was so hard. Openers was so challenging. I never even attempted uh, wheel pose, for instance, or anything that looked remotely advanced. Mm-hmm. I was still so into this gentle phase and it was only for me to heal, which I think was, was genius timing yeah. that that's the type of teacher that I happened to come across. Like I could have ended up in an, you know, in a super powerful dynamic power class and it wouldn't at all have worked for, for my back or for my spine at the time. But it wasn't until a couple of years later and I started transitioning toward this more because I, I I had less and less pain and I felt more comfortable moving without fear because I always had this fear. What if I do something wrong and then my back would just snap and then I'd be out for three weeks. Mm-hmm. That happens all the time. But then I built strength and especially core strength was huge. I mean, really, I think emotionally also just mm-hmm. feeling like I had that inner strength. And the more physical my practice got and the more I started getting really dynamic on the mat, the more I found that that acceptance for my body because I started feeling like, hey, like I can, I can be really strong. Mm-hmm. You know, I never, I never felt that in my life. Or I can do all these things, or I can, uh, like I can accomplish things with my body. I can set a goal and work toward that, and then you know make space where there wasn't space before, or find strength where I didn't have it in the past. And I started feeling really empowered. Mm-hmm. And then around that time, I started, I found my, my inversion practice, which was for that. I mean, that emotional part of my of my practice was huge. Just feeling like I could you know, which I never, I never felt that before that my body was, was great. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so empowering. Like, and it is, I think like we all surprise ourselves when that happens. Like when, for so many of us going upside down, is just not something we ever imagined except maybe when we did cartwheels as a kid. So yeah, it is, it's like a, it's a game changer for a lot of people. You must see that with your students too. Oh, definitely. Definitely. But I could also see how, because that was, um, I mean, around that time and and I started using social media and I started taking photos. And in the beginning, it was just, it was just this huge accomplishment for myself, like Mm -hmm. just to be able to share that. 
But then that side of the practice, or for me, started kind of snowballing a little bit. So I got really, really, really physical and into this, you know, taking photos of my practice and sharing it and learning and accomplishing and, you know, always moving forward, forward, forward. And I lost this soft place that I always had. Like I lost that more restorative, you know, I I stopped meditating as much as I used to. And I got really into this super dynamic, like I'm going to do one arm handstands and press Mm. to this. And like that was the end of it, you know, the beginning and end of everything. And around that time, I started feeling pain in my body again. Mm. I think it's so beautiful how you can, like, I can look back and really see how my body's telling me, okay, like, you know, we went here, which was great. Let's tone it back. <laughs> Let's like pull it back a bit and come back to this, this balance of things. Because yeah. it's hard. It's hard to, to keep it. talk a little bit about your social media presence and following and all of that stuff. Um, You've been really open about the fact that, you know, you lose followers when you write, you know, real things. Like when you, when it's not just a simple asana picture or a photo on the beach or something like that. And I, I want to read something, an example of something you wrote recently, just, yeah, and get your reaction response. So you say, the reason I've been quiet lately is because I genuinely don't know what to write. I'm bored with the image of the perfect white girl and the perfect yoga pose, a trend I know I had a part in creating. I'm bored with the version of me that cares about what other people think. I'm bored with conforming to fit into the mold of what other people expect me to be. I have a lot of shit on my mind. Most of it is concerned with how to turn this world around, but I feel small and powerless in the big scheme of politics and money and media and patriarchy. The thing is, I'm not small. I know I'm not. I'm a big person and everything I am matters, just like you I have the power to change the world just like you. So I love that kind of post. But, you know, what are some of the negative things that you deal with when you write something like that? There is so much. It's, it's overwhelmingly positive when mm-hmm. I share that. Like I have to I have to always, always share that because it's so easy to get stuck on the negative or on the, you know. And then at the end of it, you feel like, oh, everything is so horrible and no one supports me, but that's really not the case. I have this overwhelming support and people that are positive and they, they love that kind of authenticity. But I mean, just that reflection of things that whenever I share something that is really genuine, that people leave, you know, and I can actually see that, like I can see a huge drop in followers where there's like, oh, I shared this and 3000 people just unfollowed me in one post, like at the click of a button. They're like, oh, no, I don't like that. Yeah. And it's if it's a hot blonde girl in a bikini and a handstand on the beach, you know, then you, you can see this huge upswing in people and in response and engagement and likes and all that stuff. And it's just really discouraging because mm-hmm. it's not who I want to be at all. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not at all who I am. And it's, it's been something that I've been challenging, that's been challenging me for, for a while. But at the end of the day, those are not the people that that I care about having in my community. Like, I know that, like, those are not the people that the people that leave and they just want to see that girl in a bikini or whatever. That's not, that's not why I'm here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not those people that I speak to when I, when I share my, my real emotions or my story or my, my journey. But I mean, one of those things I I shared two years ago, my best friend passed away in a, in a car accident and I had a hundred thousand people unfollow me. (gasps) 
Oh my goodness. I mean, a hundred thousand people. It's How such terrible. a huge insane in number. Like it's totally, totally crazy. But I also had people that, that wrote me really long, heartfelt emails that said, you know, I've been a follower and a supporter for a really long time. This is just too hard for me. Yeah. Oh, you know, it was too emotional, too difficult, but they went through something similar. Um, and just, and just didn't want to be part of that piece, you know? Yeah. I remember when you went through that and I was kind of blown away by the beauty of your being able to share and like the beauty of your writing. So I don't know. I think there are definitely a lot of people who appreciate that level of, um, like you said, that level of authenticity. And, you know, I mean, the thing that really impresses me about you and I, you know, I think part of this is generational because like just to, to age, to date myself, to give you a sense of how old I am, you know, when I was in college, like there was not email, <laughs> let alone, you know, social media. So, so it's not as natural for, for me to, to share. And I think for a lot of people in my generation to share things with people, but I see that sometimes what stops me is you know, just a fear of what people will think or what people will say. And I, I see you as pretty fearless and that's impressive to me. So do you feel that way about yourself? Do you even think about that? I mean, not, not really anymore, but I also know that it's, it's something that I've trained myself to do. So in the very beginning, I mean, when I started getting really personal first, it was before my friend had died and I, I was going through something challenging with my boyfriend. And I remember instead of just sharing like that, you know, quote from Gandhi or whatever. Uh, and those are the types of posts that just make me like a little nauseous these days. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that I, I, I helped start that trend because that's what I would share, like a handstand or a yoga pose and then something wise or whatever. And then I wasn't feeling it that day. I was just like, oh, like this is just not it. And then instead I shared something like I was having a bad day, you know, I'm going through this challenge and we're having trust issues or whatever it is we were, we were moving through. And I got such a huge response. I mean, totally different. So not so much the, you know, social media engagement of likes and things like that, but a response from human beings sharing their stories or their reflections or how they resonated with something that I wrote. And, you know, that feeling is, is a million times better than, than likes. Right. Right. The actual connection with people. The actual connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Writing something and having people read it and know that they read it and they felt something. I mean, that's huge. So I mm -hmm. started already then kind of gearing myself toward that, but it was really hard in the beginning because I was, you know, I had this ego that was attached to these numbers, you know, because it meant so much and I was getting all this attention and, and, uh, you know, opportunities for money and sponsorships and left and, and it was brand new to me and I didn't know anything about this world. It was still so early. It was really early in the days of, yeah, brand new to everybody. Yeah. To everybody. So then noticing, okay, whenever I share, whenever I share these intimate things or I gear towards this angle, uh, I don't get any of that. You know, there's not, not a, there's less ego, you know, here and there's less ego gratification also because the likes don't follow, but I get all this heartfelt emotion in return. Mm -hmm. so it was in the beginning, it was, it was really a, a struggle for me. But then, I mean, when my friend passed away, which was around the same time, it was not like an option. Like I didn't sit there and like, okay, should I, should I pretend to go on and, you know, pretend this is not happening in my life and pretend everything is fine? Or should I just disappear and just, you know, remove mm -hmm. these accounts and never return? Or can I just be honest? Like, I didn't think about that. I just, I just had to share. It was a, it was a survival for me to, to open up 
about it. And, you know, if someone, if I would have like a social media marketing strategy person would tell me that was a horrible decision, (laughs) that's just from the loss of that engagement. But in the end of the day, it was the best thing I ever did. It was so important for my own healing. Yeah. I mean, and there are so many people out there that, I mean, me going through that pain brought them something like it helped in, in, in certain ways with their own losses and their own. Uh, and I mean, I think if I hadn't been so open, I wouldn't be able to calmly speak about it today. I don't think so. Yeah. And it, it probably, it's kind of like when you go through something difficult, there's that old saying, like you find out who your real friends are. <laughs> it's like you mm, no, found okay, out okay. who your real audience was, you know, you found out who the people who really care about what's underneath your asana practice, what's underneath your beauty, like your external beauty, like you found out who your people really are going to be. Oh, definitely. And I think after that, it was, I mean, now I don't even think about it. Like now I, I mean, I used to share maybe five, six times a day, like photos and this and this and that. And now maybe I share once a day, maybe, maybe sometimes twice if I have something to actually talk about, but it's never the idea of just sharing an image anymore. It's just, I have, I want to have something to to talk about. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to have something to to share. And if I don't, I, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't feel that, that need that I, there's something I have to prove or, you know, I don't, I don't have that attachment anymore. I saw you talk to Colleen Sedman and you made a comment about, you know, all of these like offers coming in, which I'm sure you have such a big following and that, you know, you made this comment, like I, you know, I could have made a million dollars selling yoga pants by now. And, you know, it's impressive that you haven't gone that route. So you know, how have you stayed grounded in the midst of this kind of insta success? Do you have any mentors or teachers who you talk to? Or is it just kind of something that you share with close family members? Is that who keeps you grounded? How do you how do you keep your head on your shoulders? My my husband is really is really good with all of this. I mean, he's very, very humble and grounded. And if I ever have, I don't know, if I ever have a doubt about something like this, this, you know, is this the right thing? Like he always knows Mm -hmm. what to do and what's real and what's not. But for me, this was always just common sense. (laughs) It really was. Good for you. Yeah. It's so true. And I can feel that in my own aversion to, yeah, to the type of, of social media people that just, that just promote a billion things. Like I don't believe them anymore you know they can tell me buy this do this come here here's this brand clothes by xyz like i think it's all bullshit and i i'm more like if someone is tagging a bazillion companies or promoting things in every other post like i i don't listen to you anymore <laughs> yeah and you know, if that's my own reaction like i don't want that for for this community that i built because i feel it's really it's really authentic by now i've given myself or i've given them a real piece of my of myself and i want to i want to keep that you know like a two-way street i want to keep that trust there. Yeah, that's that's very wise. And I mean there is something big to be created also with this type of with this type of influence. And I think and I think it's bigger than yoga pants. Yeah. (laughs) There's potential to do something really, really great with that kind of influence. So you're doing a lot right now. So so like let's talk about on a really macro level, you have this platform now. What do you want to do with it? What's your hope? I hope Well, my really big picture hope would be that this in some shape or form could be a, a catalyst to help make a change in the world. Like it sounds it sounds a little corny and cliche, but it's really it's really what I what I wanna do. And and in the beginning I felt it really strongly with just the you know, the my teaching and the and the yoga practice and if I can inspire people to get on the mat, that that's a beautiful thing. Now I feel more 
there's a lot of great people out there that are great at inspiring people to to practice asana. I think that's not really my biggest strength, but I think I'd love to inspire people to to look around in their own life and see how can I be of service to this world versus you know, what can I get from this world? Mm-hmm. This year has been a, a pretty big year. So I have a started a nonprofit organization called 109 and we run global mission trips and social media campaigns related to, to urgent projects and causes all around the world. And it's been, I mean, it's been so, it's been the most amazing thing I ever set out to do. <laughs> How do you find the projects? It depends. Uh, we've been working really closely with personal contacts for our first ones, just you know, people that we know or projects that we're already involved with in different ways. But our first one, we we went to Nicaragua. We did a, a three-month campaign just through social media, raising awareness and funds for the city, a village in Nicaragua that never had access to to clean drinking water. They're just, they're out of the, the realm of where the government wants to support its people. So they don't get any you know, electricity or water or anything over there. And it's been a really hard, hard few years with drought there. We were able to implement a water system for this entire village and now 1,400 people that didn't have water before now have water in their houses. Wow. And it's through social media we made that happen. I mean, 100% through social media. So through people sharing and speaking about the cause, through people donating and through people coming on. We brought 50 people on this trip and we spent six days, you know, eight hours a day digging trenches and laying pipe. <laughs> wow. And then we did yoga in the morning. You know, nice. but But it was really just through this, this influence so that for me feels so huge like just just you know we actually made a difference in these people's lives versus I don't know I made a bunch of like I don't want to when I'm 80 look back and like oh in my 20s I made a bunch of money doing this thing called Instagram that doesn't exist anymore <laughs> but, you know can I actually think back you know I had this brief moment of, of influence in my life and we were able to change to directly life. help people yeah to directly help yeah when people go on the trips um I know like one of the ways that Sean Korn does it is the people who go on the trips actually do some fundraising ahead of time. Is that is that the structure as for yours as well? We haven't done it that way. We had that happen organically a couple of times where there was a, because the trips are, I mean, it's, it's around the same price as the yoga retreat. Oh, okay. So that was okay. my original idea. So like instead of doing just a retreat where you do yoga twice a day and you drink your green juice and, and blah, 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 you, you come and you... There's a purpose for the trip. So you get the yoga, you still get the green juice, but you're not lying on a beach. Yeah. All day. You're, you're doing something. But then we actually had, uh, it happened in every trip, at least with one person per trip, that it was a college student or a young person who didn't have the funds who then fundraised on her own to, to afford the trip. Got it. Yeah. Uh, but how we do it is we, we work with really amazing resorts and hotels that are closely tied to the projects in the local communities. So they give us amazing, amazing discounts. I mean, some places we've even had like almost near free stays. So we're able to donate pretty much almost the entire sum. Everything that, that it costs you to go is donated straight to the cost. So we're able to raise huge sums of money for each project. So smart. It's really great model. It really works. And also thinking about when people just go on vacation, you know, like, do you want to go to this huge resort where there's a massive corporation banking in on, your, on all of this, all of your hard-earned money for your one vacation a year? Or... Yeah, you can come here. And if you don't want to do the hard work, you don't have to. You can choose to lie on that beach, but at least you'll know that your money goes to something really great. Actually, tell me about your pet adoption. I saw that you have a pet adoption website. 
Is that also your project that you've spearheaded? Yes, it's called Sergeant Pepper's Friends. Sergeant Pepper is my dog. He passed away two years ago, so we named the foundation after him. But it's an animal rescue, but it's it's not global. It's just it's based here in Aruba where we live. Okay. Stray animals is a huge, oh, a huge, huge issue here. So we take dogs in off the street and um, you know nurse them back to health and spay and neuter and do all of that, and then we use social media to find them homes. Uh, mainly in the U.S., Canada, Sweden, and the Netherlands. Oh, okay. Someday we are going to get a dog for our daughter when she's a little bit older to take care of it. She's already named it Sequins. Sequins? <laughs> yeah. Sequins, like, like shiny sequins? Or yeah. Sequins, like a yoga sequins? Oh, yeah. no, like shiny <laughs> glittery sequins. Yeah. Oh, because <laughs> she's only four. Oh, you she... should get one from us. I know, we <laughs> should. She told us the other day the dog's name is going to be Sequins Crandall. So... <laughs> I love it that she already, you know, she dreams about this dog. Like sometimes before she goes to sleep, she asks, you know, when she's going to have her dog. And I mean, it's, it's going to be like an exciting moment when we finally get She already has like her spirit dog. She's talking to it. She does. She does. (laughs) Actually, the only like slight glitch is that she wants the dog to be really, really tiny. She wants it to be tiny enough that it'll fit in her hand. (laughs) So I'm not sure how we're going to fulfill that. Brief moment of time. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how we're going to fulfill that characteristic, but hopefully in a few years she'll be a little more realistic about that. And then you're also. Are you starting a yoga studio on the island? Yes, we're really like knee deep in construction madness right now, which is really interesting because so there's no in, in Aruba here. I mean, starting a studio is really a daunting thing, and so many people have told me like, "Oh, don't do it." <laughs> it's too much work and it's too crazy but here in Aruba there's nothing I mean there's there's a few very very small places in the back of people's houses and the community is just it has a lot of potential but there isn't really a big you know home to go yeah it's a good move on our end and also it would allow us to be home more and for people to come to us instead of traveling worldwide which helps but now there's a baby on the way yes you're a smart person (laughs) we had this huge project that we we got the property and and the and everything and my husband who's the one he's the one who manages money and he's the just the the calm calculated like very planned he always looks out for the worst case scenarios and how could things go wrong and how can we prepare for that not to happen and I'm the one who just doesn't really plan or think or organize I just jump into things that feel right and this is one of those (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but, it's but this was one of those things where he was uh, very clearly telling me, he says, hey, we probably do not have the funds to pull this off. And I want you to know, like, this is my opinion is we should probably wait another year and save up. And I said, screw it. Let's go all in. Like, we'll manifest it. And then we reached a place last week where we're like, oops, we ran out of money. <laughs> Boy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which is so much. So. This is what I mean about your fearlessness. It's it's like you just got to plow forward. So, I mean, I think because now we really were scrambling and we're like doing everything we can to make this happen. So it's really, I mean, for the past few months, we have our blood, sweat and tears in this in this space. So I think it will be, it will feel even more special when, when we get to open. So hopefully it will be around the end of this year, but maybe it will be delayed. But either way. Yeah. So you have so many small businesses that you're juggling. You also have 108 TV, which is your online yoga classes and nutritional classes and all these things. Do you have any like self-care non-negotiables at this point in your life? I I would imagine that you, that your life has not just changed drastically in terms of like social media and that kind of attention, but just the simple fact of 
running so many different types of businesses? I mean, it, it has, it definitely, definitely has. And it's, it's something that I've been saying for years, like I want to slow down and we're moving too fast and it's been super stressful. And I also have almost all of the projects that I'm juggling now. I, I kind of started at the same time. <laughs> yeah. so it's also time management has been really crazy, but I, I try to, I mean, it was a non-negotiable for a long time now, not so much, but uh, to not open a computer or phone or any type of, you know, electronics or technology before 10 in the morning. So mm-hmm. normally before pregnancy, anyway, 10 in the morning would be fine. Like I would practice first. I would have three to four hours, really long, 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 long time to ease my way into the day and drink my tea and eat like breakfast and, and all of that. But now my, my timing is all off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't really work. Like I'm up all night. Like I find myself waking on and at three and at five and then I'm just yeah. I'm sitting there and then at seven, I feel like I've already been up for five hours and then I open my inbox. Like it's just, yeah. Well, it's good that you have these years of practice under your belt. Cause it does well, your body is preparing you first of all, for the change in schedules that you'll go through with the little one. And, and so that's a good thing just biologically. And then your practice will help you with the mental flexibility. <laughs> that's what I, I had this, there's a podcast that I did with Steph, Stephanie Snyder. I don't know if you know her, but she's a, a yoga teacher and a mom friend of mine. And we just, you know, we've just, I was talking to her about how parenting has really made me understand the metaphor of flexibility, like, you know, just, just the metaphor of like, learning all this flexibility that I learned on my mat has a direct application to how I need to bend and sway and like Tai Chi my way around my schedule and, <laughs> and my life every day. So, and it feels good when you do it. So it's going to be a big change for sure. Cause I have, it hasn't really, I mean, I don't think it, it will fully hit me until the baby's here, but right. just how selfish we've been able to, to be all these years and all this, you know, I do exactly what I want, when I want it, how I want it, travel. I mean, it's, it's not going to be like that. Yeah, it won't. And, and it'll be so full in other ways that are sort of un- unimaginable until I was reading something the other day where this mom said, like, I love these kids so much that I want to eat them so that I can feel them in my belly again. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> like, you just love them so much. It's just crazy, you know? So there's that side too. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I really, really am. And I feel like the preparation for this time, like especially the beginning of this year was really, really crazy. Like I had a, I I split from my business partner in one of our, one of our companies in a really, really horribly nasty legal battle, crazy way. And it was the most stressful, I think stressful few months of my, my entire life. And I've been longing for this quiet and this slowing down and this peace. And then I went on this retreat uh, earlier in the year in April or May. And the second I got out of this retreat, everything shifted in my whole life. Like I had all this time. I made all these changes and I started letting go of things. And all of a sudden I had all this time. And then I was struggling with what to do with all this time. Like I didn't actually enjoy the peace and the quiet. Why am I not enjoying this? And what, why is it so quiet now? Like there's no urgencies. There's nothing to fix or take care of. And Mm. then I found out that I was pregnant. Oh. Yeah, like a really perfect preparation for this divine timing. Yeah, yeah, yeah and absolutely. Because it doesn't come natural to me. <laughs> I mean, that's another thing that I find interesting about you. Like the more I was kind of researching you, I, I've known about you for a long time, but the more I was really directly researching you for this interview, I, I thought like, she's, she's as type A as I am, you know, like... <laughs> 
if you have goals and you and you and you want to make a difference in the world, you know, you you have to have some fire. So I I don't say that in a in a negative way. I totally I totally appreciate the fire, but it's hard to get back to the water element too when when we're in the fire a lot. Yeah, and then find the balance between the two. That's the biggest. That's really the biggest struggle because then I had those. I mean, a few months where I really really stepped back over the I my mean, first my first three months of pregnancy, I was really able to to sit on my couch mm-hmm. or to lie in my in my hammock. Like that was it was such a blessing, but internally I was really struggling with this change of pace. And I could also see it reflected in all of our businesses. Everything slowed down. So when I slow down, everybody else slows down too. So then, you know, I, I would love to find a way where I can step back and slow down and then still keep the fire burning and all of these projects that we have. But right. as of now, I haven't figured that out, that one out yet. I think that is like a key, key, every entrepreneur would like to to figure that out. And, and I think at a, at a certain point, it's necessary for every entrepreneur. So I trust that you will, but I totally, I totally get it. <laughs> I want to ask you a couple more questions just for the, our teachers who are listening out there. We have a lot of teachers listening. You know, you've talked about being nervous when you first started traveling and teaching and like going into just much bigger classes than you had on the island. So how did you, do you remember any ways that you got through those nerves in terms of like techniques or even just like teachers who you talk to or mentors who you talk to in the beginning it was it was really awful actually (laughs) I was so so nervous and I remember also the transitioning from teaching in my local home my own community where people kind of knew me and you know they knew what to expect and they you know didn't have this huge idea of me being someone special you know I was just their yoga teacher they would see twice a week Mm -hmm. and then when I started teaching abroad and people would, you know, drive long distances to take my class or, you know, stand in the line outside or they would fly in from different states. Like it was just totally mind boggling to me. And all of a sudden I felt this huge pressure. Like I have to, I have to perform. Yeah. I have to meet this crazy standard of all these people that think that this yoga girl is so damn amazing. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) But it really put this whole new dimension in this whole new type of nervousness that I never had before. So I remember the first time I ever, ever taught a class that was outside of, of home. Uh, we were in Florida somewhere for for surf expo. For My, my, my uh, husband had a surf shop. And I shared on Instagram. I said, hey, you know, maybe I could teach somewhere if there's anyone who has a studio, like just casually. And all these people said, oh, my God, yes, I would totally come. And I had to Google, you know, like Orlando yoga studios. And I like cold called all these places. No one knew who I was. Everybody thought I was insane. I'm like, I would love to teach a class in like four days in your studio. And, you know, they just thought I was absolutely crazy. Uh And then one place somewhere far, far out in the suburbs, this tiny little Ashtanga studio said, okay, you know, we don't have a class planned for that time. And yeah, they took, they gave me a really horrible deal where they kept basically all the money. And I was just so excited that I had a space to to do it. And they asked, you know, how many people do you think are going to come? And I said, I don't know. Maybe we'll be like five or 10. Maybe we'll be like 15. Like, I, I really don't know. And uh, it turned out to be the biggest class that that studio ever had. I think 50 or 60 people showed up and I was in shock. Like I was just in complete, like not positive, like overwhelming. Oh, this is so great. Shock, but like, holy shit. (laughs) I cannot deal with this (laughs) type shock. And driving to this class, I had to ask Dennis to pull over because I thought I was going to throw up. Oh, no. And that's not a fun way to enter this like, you know, great fun class that you've planned for like this, you know, oh God, it was so, it was so, I don't, I don't even remember how I made my way through that class, but 
If you would expect like five or 10 people and you had 50 strangers staring at you in a studio you'd never been in, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. When people have this preconceived idea of here is someone that I'm like looking forward to seeing or that I'm, I look up to for some reason or, or whatever, you know, there's definitely something that you have to live up to. But I just pushed my way through the first ones. Like I really remember just I have to do it. And then I, I went from 50 to 70 and then I went to 100 and then I did 300 and then I did like a thousand. Hmm. Now my main thing that allows me to do this and do it on this such a big scale for a living is that I deeply have come to understand and fully realize that it's not about me mm. and that if I if I didn't have that conviction like it would be really challenging but at the end of the day because I'm not some actress or singer or you know whatever person that's here to perform for someone you know but everybody they come to class because okay, there's something in my maybe my writing or what I share that they relate to but at the end of the day every single person is there for their own journey like they're just there to figure themselves out deepen their own practice to connect to something really deep within themselves Mm. so it's not about me Mm -hmm. being this this person that has to perform or do something special and that realization has just really brought me to earth I don't feel nervous anymore for those people out there who are you know you've been a young teacher teaching many classes a week 15 to 20 classes a week it's it can be a grind and I think even if you don't want to become a big traveling teacher, you do have to have some kind of social media following these days to to survive and to make it. What kind? What advice would you offer to young teachers out there who are just starting out in social media? I would say, don't try to be a yoga girl. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes any sense. I mean, because there's so much of the same now. I mean, it's really there's so much of the same and and the same types of, of sharings and images. And um, I don't know, there's this idea of this is how, like a mold, like how to make it through social media. I think the idea of, of becoming something or someone through social media is totally absurd and doesn't really, really work in a real way. I, I'm doing it now because we're, we're bringing teachers in for the studio for when we open. We don't have enough teachers on the island. So we have a bunch of applications. And then I look through immediately through social media more to get a feeling of what type of person is this not so much are you famous can Mm -hmm. you bring us lots of people uh and you can always tell immediately if there's authenticity shared you know in in that platform so even though it's instagram and it's facebook or whatever it is and it is superficial and it is pretty far away i feel like there is a way to bring depth into everything we we share and i feel like as human beings we can sense immediately whenever there's yeah whenever there's something that isn't 100 percent real like we sense it Mm -hmm. at least I feel like I can. So everybody has something that's really different and really unique to share. And it doesn't have to fit this stupid Instagram mold of Mm -hmm. what things look like, you know? So finding, I think, what what part or what part of teaching is that makes you really, really happy, you know? What is it that is that really brings out that passion of, oh my God, I love this. This is my favorite thing in the world to do. And then focus on emphasizing that and what you want to share you know, through social media as well, mm-hmm. whether, you know, philosophy or getting deep into your own, your own journey, or if it's through pain or body image, like everybody has that one thing that kind of brought them their yoga revelation, I feel. Yeah. I mean, authenticity is a big one, but it is also the scary part, you know, opening that part to strangers. It's also the... And I think finding your voice too can be just a process. I think first, like, it seems like, I don't know if this is, was your experience of it, but it seems like it's pretty easy for you to find your voice. But I think a lot, giving yourself time, like not feeling like you have to have it all figured mm-hmm. out right away and just like doing the exercise, sticking with the exercise, being consistent about it. And you'll find your voice if you just keep 
trying, you know, if it's not immediately natural to you. No, definitely, definitely. And I mean, and so much of that is also because I feel like almost, I mean, every young new teacher, we're always going to imitate what we know, you know, Mm. whoever taught us or wherever we, we had that first experience. So I feel like the more we can, for me, it's always, it's always getting that feel of, okay, this, this make me happy you know, teaching this way or sharing this or talking about this, like this is excite me. And if it doesn't, it's probably not my passion. It's probably not my path. Yeah. That's really good advice. That's really good advice. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. I, I just, I feel like I know, I know you already. Through this I feel like we know each other. I think we do. <laughs> I really appreciate all that you're, you're doing in the world and all your, your honesty. I saw one of your I think it was one of your TED talk where you talked about the the importance and the power of vulnerability. And I've been totally beating that drum too. Mm. I think it's the way that people connect. So I appreciate that. It is. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you for recognizing that. Yeah, absolutely. I and hope to meet you that, in person soon. I know. <laughs> I'd love to come study at your studio sometime. And and all best wishes for your your new little family that's forming. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. I will put links to all the ways that you can find out about Rachel and the different things that she's involved with on the show notes page. I'll also put a link to her book, which I highly recommend. And the show notes will be at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 22. And if you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. You can either just click five stars and give it a simple rating, or you can write a review and let me know what you think. Thanks so much, everyone. Until next week, enjoy your practice.